All right. Um, well, the plan was to uh, today uh, go get back into the book of Luke and, and uh, deal with um, the end time stuff that Luke talks about. But uh, in the light of uh, Jeff telling me on Friday that we were, we were going to do this and have a pastor appreciation moment, and then um, just some this week after talking about deacons, I had several uh, people in the church who um, should know exactly what our elders do who said, now what exactly do those old men do? Um, And so I decided uh, actually yesterday afternoon that today we were going to look at my role the office of pastor. And I will say, as I looked at my notes and, you know, trying to find a sermon maybe that I could retread a little bit and, and, and put together, I haven't, since I've been here, to my shame, haven't preached on this role uh, hardly any. And I think part of that is because it's kind of weird to stand around and talk about yourself. Um, and I think part of it is that it gives the impression that... Uh, that maybe you're out the door. It's like, hey, let me walk you through how to find a new pastor. Um, and so I don't, you don't want to, you never want to give that impression uh, that, hey, we'll catch you on the flip side. I got a thing. Um, so I, I've been hesitant to do that to my shame because here's the reality I'm not going to be your pastor forever. Um, I don't. I'm, I don't, I, and I want to preface everything that I'm going to say today. I haven't. I'm not talking to another church. I haven't had a group of deacons approach me. I'm not. I'm not out. The, I haven't found a bigger church with with that's going to pay me more. Any of that kind of stuff. I, I I think that it's my job to equip this congregation with what the Bible teaches, and that includes what is a pastor supposed to be. And so in preparation for this, I went out and Googled and looked at some church descriptions of pastors and realized that this is a real problem in the church. The church doesn't know what a pastor's job is supposed to be, what our job is supposed to be doing. And you can tell that by the descriptions that people give for what they're looking for in a pastor. If you think about it in the United States, let's just talk a little bit about what we look for in a pastor and see how realistic you think this is. Okay, we need somebody that can public speak. That's the first thing, because whether you like it or not, you're going to be public speaking on a pretty regular basis. Uh, So you need somebody that's not just absolutely boring or somebody that's not horrified to do that. When uh, Jeff called and said that he wasn't going to be able to make it today, and Philip was like, I cannot believe that he's cut me off like this, and I'm going to have to stand in front of all those people and speak. And I said, I can't imagine. Um, so you got to have somebody that feels comfortable doing that, and that's actually a fairly rare thing. Americans, the highest number of things that people say they're afraid of is public speaking. In fact, it's ahead of death. So I think Jerry Seinfeld said that means that when people go to a funeral, they'd rather be in the casket than speaking the eulogy, and that's weird. So, um, so you got to find a public speaker, and you want somebody with a dynamic personality, Right, and all of the descriptions of the pastor role, I heard, I read over and over again that they they want somebody that's outgoing and gregarious and can walk into a crowd and own the room, because you don't want a pastor who's boring, right? Amen. And you know what? With me, you've got something that's not boring. There may be a whole lot of other issues that we'll get to later, but boring ain't one of them. All right. So you, you want somebody who's a public speaker. You want someone who's outgoing and gregarious. You need someone who's studious, though. Because if I stand up here 
and talk about nothing for 30 minutes every day and you're not getting fed, if you're not getting the, whole, the, the word of God, what God's word actually says, then there's no point. In fact, I was at a uh, NAM conference, the North American Mission Board. Uh, it was a church planner's boot camp. And this uh, person who was speaking, I almost used some other descriptions, said, you shouldn't be spending more than 10 hours a week in sermon preparation because you need to be out glad-handing people and doing stuff. And I, excuse me, how is that possible? Because if you don't have anything to say, who cares how big the crowd is that hears you say it? In fact, what I said was, is Aerosmith can still fill an auditorium, and they still stink as a band. And immediately, all those pastors in the room started texting or sending me clips from Aerosmith songs. So, um, so you got to have somebody who can, who's studious. So already we're starting to get into... Okay, this isn't natural. Somebody that's outgoing and gregarious but can also hole up in a room for 20 hours a week and study. We need somebody who can go to the hospital, who can have command of their emotions so that they can, they can sit with someone who's sick. They can sit with people who and be with people as they're going through traumatic times and be with people as they're going through happy times. I have literally before left a person's bedside as they died, gone, got in my car, picked up my family, and driven to a 12-year-old's birthday party. You can't take one of those to the next one because nobody wants that guy at a birthday party, right? You know, sitting in a corner. Uh, that's, nobody wants that at a party. And so you, you've got to have somebody who can both comfort the sick, they can be with people. I, we're, we're exper- I experienced it today. As I see Alabama fans and I see the Crimson and the Houndstooth, it's high five. Woo, we pulled it out. How did we do that without a defensive line? Yes, woo. And then you, you see down over here, you see somebody with orange and, and per, uh, orange, what's their color? Purple, blue, what, I don't even know what that color is. Regardless, you see somebody with their little eagle or their, their tiger on, you have to, I'm so sorry. Right, you got to shift gears because you got to be all things to all men. So now we're getting into completely unrealistic because you've got to have somebody who's outgoing and gregarious, can public speak, is studious, and can study, and can be a master of their own emotions and sit down with people as they go through hard times and celebrate people who go through happy times. And on top of all that, we want someone who is a public accountant because they can manage a budget, and they can, can make sure that we don't overspend, make sure that we're putting resources in the right place. And again, as I looked at, at, at job descriptions, we need an HR manager. We need them to, to not only be good with all these other these soft skills, we need them to be able to manage a staff. We also need them to be a facilities manager because you've got every church has a church. You have a building. So somebody's got to manage that. Make sure that the air is cut on and off. Make sure that the, the air conditioner works. Um, I will say one of my least favorite aspects of pastoring is showing up here on Sunday morning. I normally get here at 5.20. I walk in these doors. And there is no feeling like opening that door and cutting the lights on and the chairs in this room being all crazy because 
somebody had an event on Saturday and they let their kids play hide and seek in this room. So guess what I'm doing for the next hour instead of sermon prep? I'm straightening chairs. Or you get a bird stuck in the building as we had this week. And that bird, I tried to clean up all the bird poop that I could, but there's still bird poop on everything. Today as I was walking around, I was like, ooh, didn't get that spot. Um, so you try to be like, hey, look over there and clean it up really quick. So um, facilities manager, I guarantee you, if there's a toilet breaks in this building, somebody's going to come to me and say, hey, the uh, toilet's running in the women's restroom. And I'm like, I'm preaching in three minutes. What do you want me to do about it? And I've joked before, but it actually happened. Somebody came to me and said, hey, in the men's bathroom, there's a toilet. And somebody pooped all over the outside of it. And I went in and cleaned it up, and you know what I was saying to myself? This is a little kid's poop, this is a little kid's poop, this is a little kid's poop, this is a little kid's poop. Because for some reason, that's okay. And I had on, I had on like some leathers, like surgical gloves, and then over that I had the big, big cleaning gloves, and I, I cleaned it up. So you want all these things that there is no human being that is all those things. God, the only human being who's ever lived that can fit all those roles well was Jesus. And he's not looking for a job. And so what ends up happening is, is that churches call somebody and then they're shocked that they're just a man who's going to have issues. That they're going to be, maybe there's somebody who's not good with administration. And so they probably, I'm just going to be honest with you, you don't want me managing the budget. You know what, I'll spend every penny that we've got doing ministry. And then we'll be sitting in here in the dark and I'll have flashlights and I'll say, it's no big deal. You don't want me planning, scheduling events. Anne and Donna have grown to hate me at times going, ha, ah, it'll come together. Because it always does, right? But it always does because somebody's up here till midnight doing stuff. In fact, I have told their deacons, uh, and I want this on a t-shirt. If somebody loves their pastor, get this on a t-shirt. There's no such person as they. They will take care of this. There is no They. They're not going to take care of anything. So we ask somebody to be all these things, and then we're surprised when they can't. So what I want us to do is look at what does God's Word say an elder, a bishop, an episkopos, which is the Greek word that's used there, what is his role supposed to be? So his introduction is an elder must watch over the flock. He must instruct all the sheep, strengthen the weak ones, guard the vulnerable ones, rebuke the obstinate ones, and bear with difficult ones. I take that from these verses. In 2 Timothy 2, it says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. I literally have this verse framed by my desk. Because the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome is something that Tom Harrison needs to hear on a regular basis. Because I... You know, some people, they say, oh, I just don't like conflict. And if I'm being really honest with myself, I have to say, I do. I like it. I like a good argument. I've joked that the first time, and it's, but it really happened, the first time Ann ever came to my house, um, I, she was going to a family event. We had been dating. We, I, I knew I loved her. I knew I wanted to marry her. And so I went and met her family. And then she came the day after Christmas to my house to meet my family. 
So we came from Atlanta. I drove her. By the way, just this is just an aside. This is for free. I on purpose drove through, came out of Atlanta, went down 20, and then I drove through Jacksonville and then came across the North Gadsden Ferry um, because I wanted her to, to think that I was a real redneck. Like, I think that was a push. And I'm like, yeah, this is the way we have to get to our house. And we got on the ferry, and, you know, that little motor, the guy's going across the Coosa River, and she's like, well, this thing float? And I go, I don't know, it has for 100 years, so... Um, Regardless, that's, that's, that's for free. Um, so Ann got, got to her house, and we were talking about, I don't even know what it was. I mean, we were talking about, uh, I'm sure there was a football game on, and we're talking about the line or the defense or something. And I look around, and Ann's gone. And so I go find her in another room. She's crying. And I'm like, what, what is going on? She goes, I just can't, I can't handle all y'all being so loud, and it's just, y'all are in such a bad argument. And I'm like, we're not arguing. We're just talking. There was no argument going on. This is just how we talk. <laughs> That's just the way it is. <laughs> I mean, there was no, no, there was no anger. There was no rancor. We were just discussing the defensive line for Alabama, and we get loud, right? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Who's ever thought that that end knew what he was doing? Ah, this coach needs to be fired right now. That's the kind of conversations going on. She thought we were about to kill each other, and we're just talking. So I read, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, and that convicts me because I am quarrelsome, and so I've got to work it and be not quarrelsome. Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. That word convicts me. It's easy to be kind to the people that we like, that look like us, smell like us, talk like us. One Sunday, um, those of you that don't know, we're, we're doing a, a class for, for young, young adults who are just married, and Ann and I are doing that at night, so I'm not here at CR as much, and uh, I got a phone call, hey, there's, there's a couple here that you, you need to come help with. So I pull up, and, and there's this couple back here with like a, you know, a 92 piece of junk. I don't even know what, what the car was. And uh, they have the same lie that everybody has. My, hey, my car broke down. I got some parts. Uh, and I, my first thought was, this is a ripoff. This is a scam. Um, they stunk, literally. They, the, the, the kids were running around everywhere. They had like a $3,000 dog that has a chain on it, I mean, a rope on him that's cut. So I'm like, okay, you stole the dog. And you, uh, the kids are all dirty, and the kids are smarting off, and, and they've already walked in the church and taken their shoes and socks on and strode them around the, the building. And I, my first thought was, I don't want to have to deal with these people. I wanted to say, get your junk and roll start this piece of junk here and get off the property. I got some ministry to do. Some of us are up in here trying to serve Jesus. So could you take your poor white trash self on? But the word says everyone. And I will say of this, this couple, at 11 o'clock, uh, I let him borrow Jack and uh, some Jack stands. In fact, David Holmes was standing there. He goes, you'll never see those again. And I'm like, you're probably right. But at 11 o'clock, they had that car jacked up, and he had dropped the gas tank out, and she was underneath the car with him, and they got it fixed. Never asked us for a penny, and got on. So I don't know what kind of impact we had on their life, but I literally walked away after I had to meet them and stand in the foyer there and pray, God, give me a heart that is kind to everyone, because I didn't want to be kind to them. Able to teach 
If you look at the verb that's most often used of Jesus, it is he taught. If you hire a pastor who can't teach, then you're wasting your time. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil. See, that's, that's the stuff y'all do, so I'm going to skip that part because we're talking about my role. Uh, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Here's the perspective I, I get from this. People, human beings, are never the enemy. I don't care how much they disagree with you. I don't care how much you don't like their opinion. I don't care what they're doing. They're not our enemy. According to this text, they, they maybe have been captured by the devil to do his will. And in that case, they're a victim. They're captured by the devil. We're fighting for their souls. We have to minister in any person you hire in a ministerial role, in an elder role. You have to hire someone who looks at life from this perspective. That our job is not to come at things from a position of fear, but from a position of love. Our job is to save people from the snare of the enemy. And we do that by pointing them to Jesus. Because we can't save anybody. We can't fix anybody. All right, so teaching, oversight, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer to care for the church of God which he had obtained by his own blood. That is a, for me, any person in a pastoral role, their job is to oversee someone else's flock. It's Jesus' flock. And oversight sometimes means you have to say things that people don't want to hear. Some of you, I've had to call and say, take it down. What are you talking about? Your Facebook post that you just put up, take it down. I've had to sit down with people and say, I understand why you feel the way you do, but you have to look at it from this perspective. And sometimes, as a 40-year-old man, 50-year-old man, I'm talking to someone who's older than me, and it would be intimidating unless I realize that it's Jesus' church. And my job is to oversee it. My job is not to keep myself employed. That's God's job. My job is not even to make the parishioners or the deacons or the other elders happy. My job is to oversee the flock of God, and I believe with everything in me, one day I will give an account I will stand in front of Jesus and he'll say, so really you just let this sin go because you were scared to deal with it? You let this person destroy their life in front of you because you were too big of a wimp to say something. Because we recognize that sin as it's laid out in the Bible is protecting us. When we went to camp, the, the camp guy used this analogy, and I've stole it. I'm going to use it for the rest of my life. I love it. My two-year-old, when he gets a butter knife, where does he want to put the end of that butter knife? Electrical socket. It's a perfect fit, man. It looks like it. that's exactly where it should go. And you've never experienced true warfare until you've tried to take a butter knife away from a two-year-old. 
give me that, come here, and they'll run, and they'll laugh and giggle so that you get a smile on your face, and the whole time they're going, just as soon as he starts laughing, I'm going right in here where I want to go. And you take it away from them, and they scream, and they pitch a fit, and they lay down on the floor, and they look at you like you just robbed me of all joy and happiness. But it is not loving to let that two-year-old go and do whatever he wants to do. I know better. I know that when he sticks that butter knife into that socket, it's going to hurt him and hurt him bad. We say, as a church, we don't support homosexual marriage, not because we're being ugly to people and we just don't want them to have happiness. We know that ultimately that will destroy them. We see that God's word lays out a plan, and that plan is for a purpose. And so it's not loving for me to say, okay, well, okay, fine, just do what you want to do. No! No more than it's loving for me to let that two-year-old stick a butter knife in a socket. Same thing. It's the same sin. When someone comes to me, and I've had three or four times in this church, as, as the pastor of this church, somebody come to me and say, well, I've really been praying about it, but God's uh, given me peace to go ahead and get a divorce. No. Do what you want to do. This is what I always say. I'm not your mama. I'm not your Holy Spirit. You do what you want to do. You cannot blame God for that because God's word has some very tight rules on what has to be in place for you to get a divorce, and this is not one of them. So please, please give God's word a chance, fight for this marriage, and they'll be happier down the road. Now, I'm not ta- obviously not talking about adultery. I'm not talking about a situation with abuse. I'm not talking about a person who leaves and goes. The Bible gives clear-cut situations for those positions. And in none of those cases was that the case. They wanted to get divorced because he's sorry. Well, he was sorry when you married him. I want to get divorced because she nags me all the time. Well, that's not a reason to get a divorce. Let's pray that God changes her heart. Let's fight for this, because here's what I've learned. Now, see, I haven't had to have those kind of problems because I'm married to the perfect woman. Love you, baby. Love you. I listened to a radio interview one time with Danny Aiken, and he was asked, do you think that people are born homosexual? And I loved his response. Absolutely. I think that naturally I was born an adulterer. That if I could just do whatever I wanted to do, if I just had free reign to go do whatever I want to do, I would be an adulterer. But God has put God rules and God's in place to protect me because if I go running after whatever I want at that time, whatever my heart tells me is good, what I feel like doing, then what I'll actually do is destroy my life. I know there have been times when this woman has woke up in the morning and looked over at my snoring, ugly self, smelling my morning breath, and said, I'm going to kill that man. (laughs) I know it has. I know she has, because I know me. I know the depths of my own heart. 
Just yesterday, she asked me to do something. I was telling the men in there. She asked me to do something. I had other plans, and I pitched a fit like a three-year-old. Fine, I'll do it. But, but me allowing God's word to protect me and her allowing God's word to protect her means that every year our life together gets richer and deeper and so much more than just the physical attraction. So much more than the excitement of the, the confetti and balloons. So much more. So God putting up these rules, these gods, these, the, is protecting me. And it's not loving to let people run outside of them. It's not loving to let my kids play on 431. They want to really bad. It would be so fun if you would just let me throw this ball right out there in the middle of the road. The loving thing to do is say, no. And so you, what this text says is that we're overseers of God's, word, of God's flock because we have to protect. And as a caveat of that, I want us to recognize this. And I say this because I've heard this mispreached so much in my life. In fact, I would be willing to put money on a barrel that all of you have heard a sermon where someone went to the book of Exodus and said, Moses said not to raise their, your hand against God's elect. So you better not disagree with me. Let me tell you something. That is borderline blasphemy. I have no authority in your life other than that book and my fidelity to it. So if the church decides we want to paint these walls and we want to paint them blue and orange... I get a vote as a member, but I get a vote of one. I can't weigh in with my pastoral authority and say, hey, I'm the pastor of this church. We're painting them red and white. Because the moment that I start doing that sort of thing, what I do is I undermine when I say this is the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, I have opinions about things. I mean, I've shared with this church, there is nothing nastier than a man walking around with open toe shoes. I can be walking through Walmart and see some dude in flip-flops, and I want to go up to him and say, will you please just grow up and go put on some shoes? Instead of wearing shower shoes out in public, or guys wearing the little, the little sandals, who do you think you are? Nobody wants to see your hairy knuckles. Nobody. Ain't nobody looking at your nasty feet going, yeah, that's looking good, buddy. <laughs> okay, that's my opinion. That has no basis in Scripture, and it's pretty much silly, because who cares, right? But if I express that opinion all the time and say it with pastoral authority, I'm the pastor of this church, and we ain't wearing open-toed shoes in this church, and I stand behind that, how am I supposed to also stand in front of you and say, thus says the Lord, God's word says we're going to do this? You're going to think in your mind, well, that's the same guy's running his mouth about open-toed shoes. Women, how many sermons have you ever heard on wearing pants in church? I've heard sermons on why your hair shouldn't touch your collar. Show me that verse. I've actually heard a sermon on why men shouldn't wear beards. That is no exaggeration. And we have textual proof that Jesus had a beard. How are you supposed to preach that? 
And so when I run my mouth about things that aren't in God's word, what that does is that undermines my ability to say, thus says God. I want you to trust that if I get behind this pulpit or standing here because I never stand behind the pulpit and I say something on a Sunday morning, I am doing it in, with fear and trembling, recognizing that I am God's man speaking from God's word to God's people. And if I run my mouth about a bunch of stuff that's not in God's word, then that undermines that. I don't have authority in your life in non-scriptural situations. It's none of my business what kind of car you drive, I, I, and I say that because I've actually heard a sermon on why you should only buy American-made cars. Or me telling you who to vote for, or whatever, whatever, whatever. Now, I should tell you that you should use God's Word as a guide. And I will tell you, as we approach this election, you need to spend time in prayer before you pull that lever. And you need to use God's Word as the principles that you make that decision on. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you, you need to vote for Trump or you need to vote for Biden because the moment that I do that, the moment I step into that arena, I undermine what my real role is, which is to say, this says the Lord. You notice I say that very Alabama. I just recognize that. Lord. Thus said the Lord. Jesus. Woo! So our only authority comes from God's word and we must always recognize, that person in this role must always recognize that it's his church. Jesus looked at Peter and said, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. It's Jesus' church. It ain't my church. When people say to me out in town, so North Glencoe, that's your church, right? I always say, nope. That's Jesus' church. That's just where he's called me right now. Not that I'm going someplace else. I have to preface that. All right. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, but be patient with them all. That's a summary of that. So what we're looking for, according to the Scripture, we're looking for somebody who can teach with depth and teach God's Word. They can admonish, they can reprove, and they can exhort. We also see that this is a person who's equipping. I tell our staff all the time, our job as the Leadership in this church is not to do ministry, but to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And we do all that knowing that we will give an account. In Hebrews 13, 17, it says, obey your leaders and submit to them. That's what I need to get painted on the door to my office. Obey your leaders and submit to them. I like that. But I don't like the rest of the verse. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage of you. And here we see that the elders of this church will give an account for what happens in this church to the person who owns the flock. All right, so in this church, we function under a particular type of governance called a plurality of elders. Elders in the New Testament is completely changeable with pastor, what we call as pastor, pastor, elder, bishop, all of those in the New Testament come from pretty much the same Greek word. Shepherd is a different Greek word, but it's used interchangeably. And so we have a plurality of elders, which means we have uh, more elders than just me, and they make the decisions that, the, the big decisions that happen in this church are made by the elders, and um, 
that what that means is that I am not the boss of them. I'm the first among equals. So what that means is, and I can give you some very specific examples. When COVID first came down the pike, and everybody was running in circles, screaming and shouting. And I'm getting phone call, literally getting phone calls from the State Board of Missions, this is what you need to do. From our local association, this is what you need to do. From other well-meaning pastors, this is what you need to do. I wasn't required to make a decision. And I told all of those people who called me, I'm not the one making the decision. The elders of this church are the people who make this decision. And I will pass this information along, but I'm not the one who's, who's deciding. And so we, as a group of elders, met, and we all, because we didn't know. I mean, this was back March. We all, you know, we're wearing masks, and we're, we're fanning the air in front of us, and we're scared to death that we're all about to just, you know, I fully expected somebody to walk in and just fall over dead. Um, and we talked through the situation and then the, that board of elders voted and made a decision on what they wanted to do. Now, that is freeing for me because there was a lot of criticism from both sides. As we've gone through this, I've had people go, hey, we shouldn't be meeting. And I've had people go, if we ain't meeting, then you clearly don't love Jesus. And I was able to say, and it's freeing to say, I'm not the one making that decision. The elders are making that decision. And I can assure you that they're not rubber stamping my decisions. And I can give you an example of that. When we were coming up on doing VBS, we're two weeks out from VBS. Donna has got her curriculum. We've got people making crafts, getting ready for VBS. The Kool-Aid has been bought. We are ready to go. Crayons are sharpened. The little, the little vanilla cookies that the kids eat are purchased. We're ready to go. There were some people in the community that said, hey, you aren't really going to do VBS, are you? And there was a little bit of uproar. I called the elders together. We talked through the issue. My vote was we do VBS. I wanted to do it. My thinking was, is the only thing we protected anybody from for the last six months is Jesus. The elders got together. They discussed it. And they said, if we end up having Five or six kids that get sick here, it could hurt this church. It would be, it, do we really, do we want to go visit a kid in the hospital who's on a respirator because he got sick at VBS? They discussed it. We all texted back and forth because we didn't meet face to face. And they voted and said, we're not, we're not doing it. We're going to do it online. I didn't like it. In fact, uh, I told Donna, Fine, we're going to do it the way they said. Because we're, but you know what? I think it was the wisest move in hindsight. They're the ones who made that decision. Where do we get that from the Bible? Most of us grew up in a Baptist church where there was a pastor, maybe an associate pastor, and a bunch of deacons. Why are we saying elders? Acts 14. When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed to the Lord with whom they believe. Acts 20, 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. 1 Timothy 5, 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. 
I don't see how any other model could be biblical. I don't see how any other way of doing it could not be a plurality of elders. Over and over and over and over, we see in the New Testament that it's a group of people who are making that decision. It's a group of men who are making that decision. Each decision that they're coming together and talking about. And so I am thankful that this church decided years before I was ever here that we were going to be governed by a group of men. And so what those elders do is we, we meet once a month, uh, literally in my office. In fact, it's this Wednesday night. Elders, we have a meeting this Wednesday night. Um, we discuss big decisions that need to be made. If it's a decision that is going to be service-related, we will tell the deacons that they need to make a decision and give us a recommendation. They're not, our elders, I love our elder board, they're not willy-nilly, this is what we're going to do, that we get input. And so, like, if, if it's something to do with the building, they're not going to make a decision because their cousin owns an air conditioning shop. They're going to ask the deacon who's over that to figure out what's going on, let us know, and then we'll vote to... Every time this ever happened when I'm here, vote to, to agree with that deacon's recommendation. And so what the elders do is any big decisions that are made, they're the ones who do it. So in reality, I'm not the pastor of North Glencoe Baptist Church. I can't say this enough. I'm one of the pastors of North Glencoe Baptist Church. Each one of these men, Doug, Pete, Ron, David Holmes, I don't see him. He's out there elding. Good job. Uh, Don Smith, the elders of this church are the pastors of this church. Harley. I'm sorry, I missed Harley. Thank you. Did I miss anybody else? Probably. Okay. The, the unnamed elder. So they are the pastors of this church. So I hope that that has helped you. I hope that's cleared some things up with, with this role. I, on purpose, decided not to go through the same list as the deacons because it's so similar. The only difference is, like I pointed out last week, one of them can, can drink wine and the other one can't drink any booze. Um, the elders have to be able to teach. Those are really the only differences in the text. So um, I know this has been a teaching sermon, less than a, less than a uh, preaching sermon, so part of me kind of wants to go, are there any questions? But I know better than that. So I'm going to close us in prayer. And then we have some things to talk about, so hold, slow your roll. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, I thank you that you did not leave us ignorant to grope in the dark with what's supposed to happen with the role of elder and pastor. Lord, I pray that you would give us as a church strength to do what we know to do, Lord, to support the men who are the elders amongst us. And Lord, I pray your blessings on this body. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.